Hey, great to see you guys here in person. Great to see everybody online. Uh, for a number of months here at the Vineyard, we've been working our way through the Gospel of Mark. And so we're going to pick up another section of that this morning. So why don't you go ahead and grab a Bible, pull out your phone, device, whatever you'd like to. Turn to Mark chapter 9. Uh, and let me share a story with you uh, as you turn in there and we get started. Um, as a number of you know, I grew up uh, going to a small town Lutheran church in Iowa. And one of the interesting items of that setting was the distinction uh, between the pastor and the rest of us as the church. Uh, for services, our pastor would wear this long robe, uh, stand alone at the altar, and the rest of the church was in the pews. The pastor was the one that prayed, that read the Bible, that preached. The assumption was that it was the pastor's role to do ministry, and the rest of us listened and sang and repeated some phrases and gave a little bit of money. This dynamic was so steeped in our culture there, I think I was 17 years old before I realized that my pastor actually had a first name. Um, so it was always like this. It was like, Pastor, great to see you. Hey, good sermon this morning, Pastor. Pastor, would you like some pea and carrot and pistachio jello salad? <laughs> we were Lutheran, remember? I mean, so it's what it got. My, uh, my pastor's name was Ken, by the way. And so I was like 17 before I realized like this is a real person, you know, and that he wasn't like out of this world in a different way. Fast forward uh, to my young adult years, right, and, uh, right during and right after college. My wife Andrea and I were part of an independent uh, Pentecostal church in eastern Iowa. And this is a really different uh, setting from my traditional Lutheran church that I grew up in. Uh, we had a rock band, and there was this real emphasis on the work of the Holy Spirit, including things like healing and prophecy and seeing people get set free from like de uh, de demonic um, oppression. But interestingly, there was actually still a little bit of a divide between the folks up front and the rest of the congregation. Um, one of the elements of our church culture there was that we'd regularly do these special services where we'd bring in like, uh, like some like, well-known speaker, like a healer or like a prophet, and like, they'd speak and they'd minister, and like, it was a really big deal to like, get prayed for by the super important anointed person. Fast forward to a few years later, as we connected with Vineyard Churches, one of the things that immediately struck me as we started to get involved in that new setting was the priority that was given to involve everyone in the church. My, my mentor, Marty, uh, would repeat phrases like this. Like he'd say, everybody gets to play. We all get to do this. And that was more than just a tagline. There was a concerted effort. Like how we went about church, how we did things week by week, day by day, as a concerted effort to equip every single follower of Jesus to do the things that Jesus said to do. And that emphasis was super impactful on me as a you know, 20 something and immediately drew me in uh, to get more involved. And the more I learned, um, the more that I realized that like, we didn't have a corner on the market in our church or in our group of churches. Like This wasn't ultimately a vineyard thing. This was like the way of Jesus. And so as, as I read through the Gospels, I just saw over and over how intentional Jesus was to train his original disciples to do ministry just like he did it. I didn't stop with the first 12 disciples. Jesus told them to teach and equip the people that they led, who in turn would then train the next round of people, and then the next round of people, all the way to like, what are we, 2,000 years afterwards? Like all the way to us today, that this ministry is meant for all of us. And so it's been like 25 years now since some of those early experiences, but I am more convinced than ever, 
more convinced than ever about these priorities, that all of us are invited to engage in ministry. This isn't just something for a few select important people. Everybody gets to play. Everyone gets the opportunity to participate in the work of God's kingdom. But there's also a process, okay? There's a process to learning how to do ministry like Jesus did it. Disciples, they didn't figure out how to do this all in one day, and neither will we, okay? Um, and so, but if we stay committed to that learning, we'll get to see some pretty cool things happen in and through our lives. That's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about how do we follow in the way of Jesus in this fashion, learning how to minister like Jesus, and walking into this process of doing things Praying like Jesus. Okay, did you guys make it to Mark 9 already? Okay, you got that? Let's take a look at a really intriguing story where Jesus does another round of training with his disciples in the midst of healing and freeing a boy uh, from demonic oppression. Okay, we're going to start in verse 14. Well, you find that, here's some context. Immediately before this, Peter, James, and John had been off with Jesus. They'd been taking in a pretty amazing experience. Um, Jesus had been on this mountain, was transfigured before them, like all of the glory of heaven was emanating from him, and the disciples were taking all of this in. Let's pick up on what the other disciples were doing in the meantime. Mark 9, 14. When they, meaning Jesus, Peter, James, and John, came to the other disciples, they saw a large crowd around them and the teachers of the law arguing with them. As soon as all the people saw Jesus, they were overwhelmed with wonder wonder, and ran to greet him. "What What are you arguing with them about? Jesus asked. And a man in the crowd answered, Teacher, I brought you my son, who is possessed by a spirit that has robbed him of speech. Whenever it seizes him, it throws him to the ground. He foams at the mouth, gnashes at his his teeth, and becomes rigid. And I asked your disciples to drive out the spirit, but they could not. You unbelieving generation, Jesus replied, how long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy to me, he said. And so they brought him, and when the spirit saw Jesus, it immediately threw the boy into a convulsion. He threw the boy to the ground, he fell to the ground and rolled around, foaming at the mouth. And Jesus asked the boy's father, how long has he been like this? From childhood, he answered. It has often thrown him into fire or water to kill him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. If you can, said Jesus, everything is possible for the one who believes. Immediately, the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. And when, the spirit saw, when Jesus saw that a crowd was running to the scene, he rebuked the impure spirit. You deaf and mute spirit, he said, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. The spirit shrieked, convulsed him violently, and came out. And the boy looked so much like a corpse that many said, he is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand, he lifted him to his feet, and he stood up. And after Jesus had gone indoors, his disciples asked him privately, why couldn't we drive it out? Jesus replied, this kind can only come out by prayer. Wow, holy cow, what an intriguing passage, right? Okay, on the front end, we see the disciples trying to heal a boy that's afflicted by a demon. On the back end, We see the disciples asking Jesus, Jesus, why couldn't we cast this demon out? And in between, we see Jesus modeling some core elements 
about supernatural ministry. There's so much that we can learn about, uh, you know, from what Jesus says and does here. We'll get to a bunch of practical details on that in a moment. But first, as we dive in, let's acknowledge this. This is like a weird story, right? (laughs) This feels a little weird, particularly to our 21st century eyes and ears. You know, some of them may even be like sorting through some inner skepticism, like, really? I mean, it sounds like maybe the boy had a form of epilepsy or some other medical condition or mental health kind of a thing. Like, what's going on really? Like, could it really have been caused by some kind of demonic oppression? As Westerners, as Americans, uh, we typically make sense of the world through our intellect and our rationality. I would give high value to what we can see and measure and test and quantify. That's great, but what if that is not the only bucket that we can draw from? So the rest of the world, not only in centuries past, but all the way up to until today, uh, there's an additional emphasis that's given to the supernatural or the spiritual realm of life. And that's not just true about folks that live very simply. It's also true about highly educated folks. Like there's another category, another bucket of like there's another realm of life that is very real, just like all the things that we can see and taste and touch. In today's passage, the boy's father, the disciples and Jesus were all on the same page, that there was a spiritual dynamic that was connected to this boy's condition. So my question to us is, what if there's something for us to learn from this rather than immediately dismissing it? Here's the first thing I think we can pick up on, that we are supernatural people living in a supernatural, a spiritual world. This is a picture that we get in the Gospels in the early church, that there was a very real dynamic of supernatural ministry going on through Jesus and through the early disciples. As Michael and Becca touched on last week from John 10, that Jesus um, is trying to welcome us into this flourishing life, but there's a conflict of kingdom. There's actually a spiritual enter. There's another team on the field that is working against that. It says in John 10 that like the enemy comes to steal and to kill and destroy. This is a very real thing that we have to learn to work with. And so, you know, if that's true that we have this enemy, it's crucial that we learn how to engage in ministry that pushes back that kind of conflict, the work of the enemy, and that it welcomes more of what Jesus wants to do in our lives. But again, like that can feel a little odd to us, like just a little out of our realm of what we would typically think. Maybe this can help. Um, recently, Michael and I have uh, started reading a fascinating book. Uh, it's written by a guy named Jordan Sang. He's a pastor out in uh, Hawaii. Uh, it's called Miracle Work. I want you to listen to this from his introduction. Uh, it's in a section subtitled, Normal Weirdness. Supernatural ministry is weird by definition. The practice of healing, deliverance, or prophecy can certainly feel weird as we do it. But I think the biggest problem among believers is not that we think supernatural ministry is too weird. It's that we might try to make God too normal. Think about it. We, live in an, uh, we believe in an invisible being with no beginning who spoke the universe into existence, who lives outside space and time with fantastic angelic creatures, who is everywhere and knows everything and can do anything who sent his God-man son into our world, brought him back to life after he was thoroughly killed, and then returned him to heaven, and who resurrects us so we can live forever. Once you swallow all that overwhelmingly supernatural stuff, it is only the tiniest step 
to accept supernatural healings and demonic deliverances. Same goes on. It says, one nice thing about supernatural ministry is that it can help us stop pretending that we're normal. Such experiences remind us that we are weird and that this can be really helpful for spiritual living. If you are unusual enough to try and heal people supernaturally, then you'll probably have less trouble being supernaturally generous with the poor or disrupting your life to reach out to the unreached. And you'll have an easier time thinking about finances, about relationships, life goals in a way that are not of this world. Supernatural ministry reinforces what I'd call daily kingdom living. I love that quote. So yes, venturing into praying for people in this way is a bit odd. But it's not as far of a reach as we might think, particularly resonate with what Singh writes in that last paragraph where he highlights, like, as we step out to pray for others, it surprisingly reinforces what it means to follow Jesus in our day-to-day lives. Over the last few decades, I have found that to be true over and over and over again. Okay, that's all some great backdrop. Let's dig into some things further into Mark chapter 9. Get into some more detail about what Jesus models to us about this kind of ministry. So skip to the end of the passage, verse 28 and 29 again. After Jesus had gone indoors, his disciples asked him privately, Jesus, why couldn't we drive out the demon? Why couldn't we drive it out? And Jesus replied, this kind can only come out by prayer. And things I love to do as I'm reading the Bible, as I'm studying the Bible, is trying to like enter into the passage. Maybe you can do that with this passage this morning, where you're imagining like the disciples in their amazement at what had just happened with the boy and how they could hardly wait to get alone with Jesus so they could ask him the reason for his success in casting out this demon and their failure. And I love this. Like when the disciples got stuck, they went back to Jesus with their questions saying, Jesus, I don't get it. How does this work? Can you help us? Like, give us a bone, right? (laughs) Help us out. Side note, like, what if this week, what if this week, whatever the area of life is, like a spot that you get stuck, what if you could take the step that the disciples took and just do that simple thing of humility and say, like, Jesus, I don't get it. (laughs) I just throw my hands up. Can you help me out here? I'm stuck. Jesus, can you help me understand your perspective? Show me how this works. This is so much of what day-to-day discipleship with Jesus can be like. Specific to our topic today, here's the next item that I think we can take away from the disciples' interaction with Jesus uh, here at the end of today's passage. Supernatural ministry is actually something that we can learn to do. I would go as far to say this is something that we're meant to learn to do as followers of Jesus. Jesus was so intentional in teaching and training his disciples. Uh, Back in Luke 9, we read that when Jesus sent out his 12 disciples, he gave them authority over demons and he sent them out to heal the sick. He told them to declare the availability of God's kingdom and to demonstrate that with um, presence and works with power. When he sent out another bigger group, 70, he gave them the same commissioning. And so in some cases, when the disciples went out and they were trying this out, it went fantastic. They had amazing success. They're like, woohoo, this is amazing, Jesus. But then there was other times, like we see in Mark 9, where there was still some more for them to learn. 
I find it really reassuring. I don't, if you, when you read the Bible, it's like, like these are real people. Like they, sometimes they get it, sometimes they don't. That sounds a lot like my life. You know, I find this so reassuring that the disciples didn't figure this out in one day because that means that there is room for us to learn as well. This is a big theme in Jordan Singh's book. Uh, too often, we assume that supernatural ministry is reserved for a few people that are really gifted. You know, like somebody that they either have the gift of healing or they don't, or they have the gift of deliverance or they don't. But I think there's actually more to it. There's actually like four different components we often see in the scriptures uh, that go into supernatural ministry. So there's gifting. That's one piece of that, you know, and where we can be empowered, we can be gifted by the Holy Spirit. But there's also things like authority and faith and what he calls consecration. And those are all items that are kind of part of all the equation and things that we can grow in really, really intentionally. So here's what I've found is uh, super helpful to facilitate that kind of growth. It's helpful to learn a framework for this, for prayer, versus following a formula. Think about this. Jesus didn't cast out a demon every single time he prayed for somebody that was sick. Sometimes people were just sick, (laughs) and he prayed for them. It's the same thing with the disciples. You know, there were lots of different ways that Jesus prayed in different situations. There wasn't one set formula. And so for us, like, there are many ways to pray and to see powerful things happen. And a big part of the learning process that I'm trying to present to us today and invite us into is uh, learning to build this awareness about what approach to ministry fits the specific situation that's at hand for us. What approach to prayer is going to be most effective for that person that we are praying for. Something that we cover in our class um, called uh, Learning to Pray Like Jesus. We host that every other month. We just had one the other night on Thursday. This is part of our core curriculum, if you will, here at the Vineyard. And it's a primary way that we introduce people uh, to this angle of ministry. You know, uh, this, uh, this way that Jesus prayed for people. And then we just immediately give folks a chance to begin uh, to try that out. Uh, Just like college uh, courses uh, have learning objectives and core competencies in a course of study, this is one of those things for us here at the Vineyard. Um, One of the clear outcomes of following Jesus, being involved here, is that you would learn how to pray like Jesus. All of us getting invited in to see God's power and his presence come through us as we learn some of these simple tools. And so, specifically, we train uh, folks in a simple five-step model uh, for praying for different people. Again, it's not a formula uh, where you say the same thing each time. Instead, it's like a framework that we can use to help us know what's God up to and how can we enter into that with the power of the Holy Spirit and really love and minister to that person that's right in front of us. There's a more detailed version that we teach, of course, to the adults over a couple hours' time, but uh, this is actually something that we teach to our kids. Uh, my wife, Andrea, is one of our uh, leaders for our fourth and fifth graders downstairs, and so she's down there right now ministering the fourth and fifth graders, and uh, this is something that we teach 10 and 11-year-olds how to do, and that they actually start to take steps to pray for their classmates. Sometimes we'll do this where the 10 and 11-year-olds will pray for the younger kids. 
You know what? God shows up <laughs> through 10 and 11-year-olds. This is so amazing. Like every single one of us, from the oldest to the youngest, is invited in to be a participant, a partner in the ministry of Jesus. Up on the screen is a simplified version of the prayer model that we use with our kids. Secretly, I kind of like this one better than the adult one. <laughs> it's easier to remember. It's like these five steps where we say, we ask, like, what can I pray for? What's God up to? What do you need? Next we go on and we invite the Holy Spirit's presence and we say, Holy Spirit, come. Come, God. I can't heal anybody, but you can. And so, God, would you come? And in that time of waiting, what we're doing is we're, we're trying to get a, a, an awareness of what's the kind of right way to pray. And so we go into that third step, to pray and to engage in ministry with whatever's going on with that person. After we do that for a little bit, then we do a quick check-in. How you doing? What's God up to? And we might even go back into praying some more. And then as we finish up, we plan. Maybe we plan to pray again or we do some kind of follow-up. We say, let's, let's keep at this. Or like, man, that's amazing. Like God did some really cool things. Here's the next step for you. Okay, so you can see, like, if fifth graders, right, are you smarter than a fifth grader? If fifth graders can learn this, you and I can learn how to do this. We can learn how to minister like Jesus, and it's super fun, it's super cool. When the early vineyard leader, John Wimber, first developed this model, um, it wasn't out of thin air. It was drawn directly from the Gospels drawn directly from the ministry of Jesus. So even um, some of these core elements find on themselves in today's passage. You know, Jesus comes to the Father, and he asks him a question. What's going on? How long has he been like this? He takes time to wait. Then he prays. And then at the very end, he like expresses real genuine care Lifting this boy up. We see these steps over and over again. And so that's just what we want to do. We see like this is the mode, the model of ministry that Jesus gave. He gave to his disciples. And we figure that if it's good enough for Jesus, if it was good enough for the early disciples, then we want to do the exact same things um, ourselves. So um, if you have never taken our Learning to Pray Like Jesus class, uh, we, again, we host this every over the month. I um, encourage you to sign up for that. Uh, it is such a valuable thing. It's such a core piece of uh, um, who we are as a church. What I've covered in like the two minutes, the last little bit, is just like a short little intro. There's a whole bunch more in the two-hour class. It'll be well, well worth uh, your time. Okay, let's come back to the intriguing statement that Jesus makes in verse 29. The disciples asked, why weren't we able to cast the demon out? And Jesus answered, this kind can only come out by prayer. Another gospel records that last phrase is, this kind can only come out by prayer and fasting. What does Jesus mean by that? One aspect um, that we referred to earlier when we were looking at these different components of supernatural ministry is this aspect of consecration. And the, and the idea is basically this, that as we make more room for God in us, then there becomes more room for God to work through us. As we learn to live uh, surrendered, obedient lives, like just aligning ourselves more and more with Jesus, then there's more and more that can come through us as we try and reach out uh, to others. So that's one angle. Another is this, that other writers highlight a second item. Pointing to how Jesus was expanding the disciples' understanding of what prayer included. 
Particularly, Jesus had some further training to do with them about how to pray with authority. Okay, let's look at this a little further uh, at verse 25. How did Jesus pray in this passage? Praying with authority. Verse 25. Jesus rebuked the impure spirit. You deaf and mute spirit, he said, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. That doesn't sound like most of the prayers I pray. (laughs) How about you? Right? Like, this is really different. In fact, Jesus didn't talk to God at all. Instead, he spoke directly to the demonic spirit, and he commanded it to leave. This is likely part of what Jesus was covering again with the disciples as they're asking, like, Jesus, I don't get this. Like, why were you successful and we weren't? This whole idea of, like, the prayer of command um, the authoritative prayer, that's something that Jesus does. Have you ever noticed this before in reading the Bible, that Jesus' prayers are often really short? Think about it. He commanded the lepers, be clean. He touched blind eyes and deaf ears, saying, be opened. To the paralytic, he ordered, get up. And at the grave of his friend Lazarus, he commanded, come forth. Like, that's a really good prayer, right? Short prayers. They don't even sound like prayers. But this is how Jesus ministered. And this is some of the things that he invites us to learn about as we follow in his footsteps. Okay, so this is what we call, again, like the prayer of command or authoritative prayer. In this type of prayer, um, we are calling forth the will of God the Father upon the earth. Prayer command, authoritative prayer. Um, Here we're not so much speaking to God as we are speaking for God. We're not asking God to do something. Rather, we're using the authority that God has given to command something uh, to be done. Other forms of prayer proceed from um, earth to heaven, like we're, we're, we're asking God to maybe bring us forgiveness or giving thanks or seeking healing, like that's prayer moving in an upward direction. This is actually moving the other way. Like authoritative prayer is like heaven to earth kind of prayer. Um, You know, where we're bringing the resources of heaven to bear upon a particular uh, type of uh, matter here on earth. Okay, so give you a story um, just the other night. I mentioned that uh, we did learning to pray like Jesus on Thursday. So Michael was teaching that class. He's got brand new notes. He's really excited about all of his brand new notes, right? You know? <laughs> and so he's really uh, leading through all of these different elements of um, trying to teach and model uh, what was going on. And so he brought one of our other staff members, Barry, who's our compassion ministry director, up to model what this kind of prayer looks like. And Barry's been struggling with some back pain. And so Michael just took a few moments, walked through the prayer model. And then as he was praying for Barry... He prayed a prayer of command and basically spoke, you know, right at that prayer, um, at that pain, and uh, uh, commanding it to dissipate and to leave. Super short prayer, okay? Uh, I texted with Barry the next morning. I actually talked to him again this morning, um, and here's his response. What a great class. I learned so much. I still do have a little bit of stiffness in my back, but no pain. Yippee. (laughs) I love the little extra of yippee. Short little prayer. Prayer command. Okay, this isn't the prayer that we use every single time, but it's one tool in the toolbox. Okay, and it's one of the things that I think the disciples were having a hard time understanding 
It's one thing that we maybe have a hard time to understand as well. This approach to prayer can be super powerful, but it's also something that we need to learn to use with really great care. As you can imagine, if you walked around to a stranger, slapped him on the head and said, be healed, you'd probably get arrested, you know? <laughs> um, not the approach that we want to take. Like, we want to have a sensitivity to this. Like, there's amazing authority that we have as followers of Jesus, but we can do that with kindness and compassion and grace and sensitivity. Another book that I've been rereading recently is Richard Fossert's classic um, book on prayer, Finding the, the Heart's True Home. And in that, he covers 21 different approaches to prayer, including a chapter on the prayer of command, or what he calls authoritative prayer. And his wisdom about how to use this in a compassionate, sensitive manner is just fantastic. And so I encourage you to check that out. Uh, there's something about this approach um, to prayer uh, that I just love the way that we teach. You know, there's no need to build things up, to talk in a really different voice, to raise our voice even. We can just be regular people engaging with real needs and asking for God's kingdom to come or commanding that to say, Lord, come, come with your presence. So, final set of items to touch on. Talked about learning to pray with authority. Another one that we see here in this passage is learning to pray with faith. Look again at verses 22 and 20 to 24. It says, The demon often throws him into the fire or water to kill him. This is the father talking. But the father says, If you can do anything, Jesus, take pity on us and help us. If you can, said Jesus, Everything is possible for one who believes. And immediately the boy's father exclaimed, Jesus, I do believe, but help me overcome my unbelief. So faith is another component for us praying for others. But I think we sometimes miss what we mean by that word, okay? And so oh, crucial to, to clarify what we mean by that. Increasingly for me, I think about um, faith being less about certainty, faith equals certainty, and more about faith equaling trust, okay? Uh, I'll show this illustration. As I was writing um, this section of today's talk, I was remembering a, a great little tidbit that John Clearer, another one of our pastors, um, included in a sermon before he uh, went on his sabbatical. And uh, here's my version of it. Imagine you're hiking up the North Shore. You come to a spot with a big ravine. Uh, the only way to keep moving forward is to try and jump over the ravine. And so there's three different people there, some different responses. Person number one, kind of a math nerd, they're able in their head to do these complex uh, physics calculations, and they're able to do mass, velocity, all that. Okay, 99% certainty, I can hop over this ravine. They do it, boom, 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 there they go. Second person, uh, like they aren't quite so sure. Um, they think, well, maybe, maybe not. Like that might be like 51% faith and 49% doubt. But for whatever reason, like they figure out, okay, I'm just going to go for it. Boom, boom, boom. They jump over. Person three. In their mind, they're thinking, there is no way. <laughs> I don't think I can do this. Percentage-wise, they might be at best 1% faith, 99% doubt. And yet, they said, well, I don't know. I guess I'll give it a go. And so they go and they hop over. They make it over as well. Here's the question. Which of those folks had the right amount of faith? They all did. 
right? All of them had enough faith. Like, it didn't matter that, like, one had 99% certainty and one only had 1%. It was like they just had enough to get started, to get going, uh, to move forward. And I think this is so much of what I see in the Father's statement in verse 24, where he says, Lord, I do believe, but help my unbelief. How about you? Like, do you relate to that? <laughs> right? That feels like real life. I know, um, you know, move forward with Jesus, or even to operate in supernatural ministry, it doesn't require that we have 100% faith and that we're free from all doubt. All that's required is for us to put faith into some kind of action. Again, it's less about faith equals certainty, more about faith equaling trust. Here's another way that we describe this uh, dynamic at the vineyard. Uh, We talk about how faith is spelled R-I-S-K. We're really bad spellers here at the Vineyard. Faith is spelled R-I-S-K. It's all about risk. Over the years, I've learned to have lots of trust that God is going to do something when I pray for others. But even after 25 years of this, I often have very little certainty of what that something is. And so there's always an element of risk. You know, what if the person isn't healed or helped? What if I look really weird? (laughs) You know, there is a risk to take. And so those are natural questions to ask. But let me tell you, it is so worth the risk. Like as I was preparing again this week, like I was just like re-upping. Like Jesus, sign me up again. Like this is so worth the risk. This week I was remembering story after story of taking risks through the years with this kind of ministry and seeing God show up. I remember like praying for uh, somebody with a headache and like for the very first time, like God bringing healing through my prayers. I'm like, holy cow, it worked, (laughs) right? You know, or like when we were starting the Vineyard Church in Mankato, like taking risks to, uh, we, we had a friend that had major ulcers on her esophagus and to see God bring healing to her and just launch her into this brand new place in her relationship with Jesus, or a college friend that we, we did this little exercise of what we call 30-second prayer, and we just had people stand up that had um, physical needs. And so, like, for 30 seconds, one of her college um, classmates, like, prayed for her, and her ankle was healed. You know, or other instances where praying for folks and seeing them get set free from, like, dark, ominous, demonic presence in their life. Folks, this works. This is amazing. It is so much fun to see. As you can probably tell, I get pretty jazzed about this. It is a blast to see God's love and his power come to other people. And it is so much fun to teach others how to engage in this kind of ministry. This isn't reserved for just a select few kinds of people. This is meant to be for all of us. Does it always work? Of course not. <laughs> you know, not everyone is healed. Not everyone's set free in the way we like. Part of that's because we still have more to learn, just like the disciples did. And another part is that there's still some mystery to this. God's kingdom is both here and it's also still yet to come. And so as we pray for folks, we're like leaning in. We're asking for those resources of heaven to make their way to earth. But it's not going to be fully finished until the very end. Sometimes we don't see the results that we'd like to see this side of heaven. But sometimes we do. <laughs> and so it's worth it. I'll close with this quote. Uh, it's included in one of the sessions in the Alpha course that I helped lead here at the Vineyard. It's from uh, uh, John Wimber, the founding leader of the Vineyard. Uh, and they were talking about uh, healing. And he said this. He says, 
When we prayed for no one, no one was healed. Now we pray for lots of people, and some are healed. I love that. He said that like about 40 years ago when the vineyard was first getting uh, going as a group of churches. Um, that philosophy, this approach to ministry, what I'm talking about to you today, folks, like this is so central to our DNA. This is like at the core of who we are as a local church even. You know, when the Duluth Vineyard started and kind of had um, the next uh, round of um, uh, development 25 years ago when Michael and Brenda moved up here, it was like 40 people, <laughs> you know, and then over the years, just dozens and dozens, and then hundreds of people, and then sending out people to go plant more churches. Like, this is what so much of people connected with, was this naturally supernatural ministry of Jesus. And so today, one of my deep hopes is if you've never heard this before, I mean, I've met a lot of new folks around the vineyard recently. Like, you would just catch some of the story. You would catch, like, this is who these folks are. This is what it means to follow Jesus in these particular ways. We just invite you right in. Like, you don't have to. Like, wait, you can learn how to do this stuff even right now. There's others of you, maybe you've been around for a few years or a whole bunch of years, and maybe you've let this slide. Maybe you've let this priority fall a little bit more in the backdrop. I had a deep sense this morning that there was like a resurgence that God wanted to do, like a reset for us even as a church community, that we can re-up, like I was talking about earlier, saying, God, I am all in. <laughs> I'm not going to be successful all the time. I don't know how this always works, but I want to take those risks. I want to see your kingdom come. I don't want to just be a spectator. We are meant to be participants and partners in this work of God's kingdom. God has chosen for his love and his power to come through the world through people just like you and me. Along those lines, let's go ahead and stand up. And uh, we're going to move into time to pray for one another and to do some of the very things that we've been talking about this morning. Oh God, before we even get to that, we just ask for your grace, your help. Um, that was a lot to take you in. And uh, Lord, just ask for your help. God, for the different elements, God, of what, um, what's like so important to us, that we just like filter down deep into our hearts, and, and God, that every single one of us would know, like, this, this, this part's for me. This is what I need to really grasp onto uh, today. God, I thank you again that, uh, even thinking about stepping into uh, these kind of odd uh, bits of supernatural ministry. And it's not just about um, what happens up front here, but that this can actually unleash some really powerful things in our day-to-day -day lives as we try and follow you, Jesus. So, God, would you just come even right now? Would each one of us have that deep sense that you're for us, that you're with us. And just like you were faithful to teach the disciples how to do life and then do the ministry, God, that that's true for every single one of us. You're going to teach us how to live. You're going to teach us how to follow you. You're so gracious and generous to us. 
If you're on a ministry team, why don't you start to make your way up front here. Um, I want to just give a, a few different invitations to receive prayer today as we go back into worship. Um, uh, one of those is that uh, if you came in today, like the, you've got something going on in your body, like you would like God to touch you with supernatural, like powerful healing in your body, we would love to pray for you. Again, like none of us is a healer. God's the healer. We're willing to just take risks and to come before God with your need and ask for his kingdom to come. Maybe it's like spiritual oppression. Like uh, I was having a sense like maybe some folks like really dealing with stuff in the night, whether it's night terrors or uh, just like this ominous thing. Like, folks, this is a real deal. And so we would love to be able to come alongside you in those and, and take authority over those pieces that um, may be working against you in that way. And also, um, just really had a sense, like, uh, whether it's, like, brand new to this or it's, like, a re-upping, I felt like God wants to be able to equip and empower us in some fresh ways. As you say, I want to be in on this. Holy Spirit, would you come? And so, Lord, we just look to you. We thank you for this day that we can worship, we can gather, that we can pray. Would you minister in power as we pray for one or now? In Jesus' name, amen. These guys are going to lead us in some more worship. I encourage you to engage in that. Come up and get some prayer um, for whatever it is that you feel like God's stirring in you. Thanks so much for being here at the Vineyard this morning.